So would you take your Bibles and uh, turn with me, if you have a Bible with you, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, the, the scripture will be up on the screen for you to be able to follow along. We are in a text that is dealing with what are the essentials for having a healthy spiritual family. Before we jump in and look at the specific scripture, uh, we want to declare what we believe about the word of God together. So with your Bible in your hand, maybe you would declare this out loud with me. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So as he has loved us, he's going to show us how we would love one another as part of the spiritual family. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're looking at verses 12 through 15, but only six words this morning in the end of verse 13. Last week, we looked at the first element, the first essential for spiritual health in a family. It says in verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, speaking of the elders in a local congregation, and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So essential to health in any group of people is understanding who has what role and what is the responsibility of that role. And that's what this defines here. It defines roles in a local body, the role of the elder and the role of the congregation. To sum up, Last week, we simply said spiritual health at Christian Family Chapel or in any local church begins with involved elders diligently providing oversight, instruction, and example. That's their role. When elders don't do that, the health of a local body suffers. If they don't provide instruction, we suffer. If they don't set an example, we suffer. That's their role. Two, set an example to provide instruction and oversight and to do it diligently among us. What's the role of the congregation? To show value and respect to the leaders through submission and obedience. Elders serve, we identified as under shepherds to Jesus who is the chief shepherd. We have one person in charge at Christian Family Chapel and his name is, this is not just church talk, his name is Jesus. He is the leader of Christian Family Chapel. Under Jesus, we have a plurality of elders who serve as under shepherds to the chief shepherd. And as a congregation, your role is to Submit to the under shepherds as to the chief shepherd because they are leading as followers of the chief shepherd. When, when that happens in a church, that is the foundation for health. And it leads to these next six words that we're going to unpack this morning. Live in peace with one another. Knowing a role and fulfilling your role is crucial to living in peace with one another. But I want you to think about 
When he says live in peace with one another, he's talking about relational peace. Sometimes when we think about peace from the scripture, we're talking about an inner peace. And that's a great gift of God. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about relational peace. It's about a church that doesn't have a bunch of fighting and turmoil and quarreling among it. It's about a marriage that isn't characterized by fighting and quarreling and brokenness. It's living in peace with one another as a church. It's living in peace with one another as a married couple. It's living in peace with one another at a family level, at a work level. So I want you to think very practically this morning. Any relationships that you would go, well, we're not really not at peace right now. Maybe it's with a sibling, maybe it's with a parent, maybe it is with a spouse, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody else here at the chapel, that there's some brokenness, some quarreling. These six words are absolutely essential if we're going to be the church as God intends us to be the church, that we would live at peace with one another. So I want to begin by answering the question. Where's the lack of relational peace come from? What's the source for division, whether it's in the church or at home or at work? What's the source? Well, the scripture answers it specifically. James 4 says this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not, is is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now, pause for a second. He's not talking about members of a church. He's talking about members, your body. Is not the source of conflict and quarrels something that's happening inside you? And what's happening inside you is causing division externally, relationally. Is not the source your pleasures. There's a war going on in your body. You lust and you don't have. And so you commit murder. Now you may think, whoo, murder, that's, that's a little extreme. Well, let's remember, what did Jesus say? If you have hated someone in your heart, you've murdered them. So you may not be a murderer in truly taking a life, but all of us at times have just hated in our heart. Where does that come from? He says, you lust, don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So the point that I want us to unpack this morning is this, that the lack of peace is rooted in my desire to be pleased at all cost. That's where lack of peace comes from. It comes from a, a desire in me that has to be pleased. It's an internal battle that ends up having external consequences. And all of us know this. You have something that you want, and when you don't get it, you insist that you have to have it, and you start to fight about it, or you start to quarrel about it, or you do things that you wouldn't have done because you want what you want, when you want it, how you want it. 
and it's emphasized because that's what's happening in you and that's what's happening in, in them. So it's two people who want what they want. They have desires within and they're not gonna yield. They're not gonna give up. They're gonna be pleased and so you got fighting, right? Yeah, every, every one of us know this. You look at me like, really? That doesn't happen to me. I know it happens to you. It, it happens all the time. We have desires within that demand to be pleased, whatever the cost. Here's the kicker. If, now this is a significant if, if you have indeed trusted in Jesus to be your sin bearer and you've been born again, then the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, God himself now dwells in you. And because the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's this war that's going on with the desires. You see, the, the scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, and I want to turn you, invite you actually to turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible there, Flip to it or, or open that up in your mobile device. Galatians chapter 5, he says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, important clarification. He doesn't say you won't have the desire of the flesh. What's he say? You won't, you won't carry it out. You will indeed still have it. Some of us are going to go, well, once the desires are gone, then we'll be able to get along. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. Your desire to be pleased is not going away. It's there. The deal is you don't have to carry out that desire. You can give it up instead of carry it out. And when you walk by the Spirit, you don't carry out the desire of the flesh, and therefore the deeds of the flesh, fighting and quarreling and envy and murder and all of that, doesn't result what results. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now just take a moment and look at those. Who doesn't want those to be part of their life? Who doesn't want those to characterize their relationship? I think we do. It's just how do we get there? Because we're to live, he says, six words, live in peace with one another, but our desires are demanding to be satisfied. And then we have the fruit of the, the Spirit of God in us that's saying peace is the fruit of the Spirit from walking in the Spirit. But walking in the spirit is not a walk in the park. It's a walk in a war zone. Here's the war. Look at verse 17 if you're there in Galatians 5. Here's the war that goes on when we seek to walk in the spirit so that we can bear forth the fruit of the spirit of peace. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. 
Why not? Why don't I get to do the things that I please? Because the Spirit of God is in me saying, no, you don't belong to you any longer. You belong to me. You don't get to do what you want, when you want, how you want it. But what's desire saying? No, I want what I want. So you see the battle? You know it. You've experienced it. If the Spirit of God is in you, you want something, and the Spirit wants you to do something else, and you feel that tug of war. So there is a war going on, and the war is between the Spirit and the flesh. Now, the flesh... When the Bible talks about the flesh, we're not talking about this, the, the, the skin. We're, we're talking about the desire inside for what we want. So let me illustrate it like this, because I'm back into a new stage in my life of dealing with two-year-olds. I went through the stage where I had two-year-old children, six of them went through that stage, and now we're back again with two-year-old grandchildren. And we have a couple of them right at that age right now. And it's so clear to me that the flesh is like a two-year-old. Because I can watch my grandkids, they're playing, and all of a sudden one of them sees what that other one has. And what do they think? I want that. You can, it, it like, you can see it on their face, and they make like a beeline over to them, and you can see the conflict about to happen. And they go over, and they grab something, and the other one's like, grab it, and they're fighting back and forth. And then parents have to step in and say, what? You got to share. You can't uh, to share. You can't take things. And then whoever ends up without the toy go, go, does what? and they go crazy because they didn't get what they wanted. That's your flesh. You, I, I, I tell you, you, you may go, you don't even know me. I know you enough to know this. You have a little two-year-old inside of you. And the Bible calls it your flesh. And, and your two-year-old demands to be satisfied. And when you don't get satisfied, you pitch a fit. But if you're born again, you have a parent who lives inside of you called the, the Holy Spirit. And there's this war that happens between the parent and the two-year-old. The parent saying, no, this is what's right and this is what's good and this is how you need to learn to live. And the two-year-old, no! They just want what they want, right? So we have this war going on. In the daily battles, the spirit, the parent is saying, you've died to self. In other words, you don't belong to you anymore. You used to belong to you. You used to be a slave to your desires, but you're not anymore. What happened? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, they're still alive, but they don't have mastery over you. You're not a slave to those desires anymore. They've been crucified with Christ. You're set free from them. But they're still demanding, I must be pleased. I must get what I want. So, that's the battle. 
that's going on. And as would have it, my two-year-old grandsons in from South Carolina last night, we're all together as a family, and we have a plate of chocolate chip cookies after dinner. And he's had one, and everybody's had some, and then they had been told no more, and they put him up on a shelf so that he couldn't get to him. Then somebody didn't know that that's why they'd been put up, put it back on the table. Well, little two-year-old immediately, radar went off, chocolate chip cookies on the table. He goes over, dad sees him going over. No, Joseph can't have another one. He looks at him, grabs, bites, and throws it back in real fast. Classic, just this little bite out of the chocolate chip cookie. He was so quick, dum, dum, and then he stood there like that. But he knew he was in trouble. And I thought, man, I've done that with God so many times. No, no, no. Think he noticed? Uh-huh, I know he did. And I honestly thought, dude, if you're going to go for it, you got to take a bigger bite than that. That's... But it was as fast as he could, just that little, and then he threw it back in, and, and what the dad, the Holy Spirit, gets up and goes, let's go over to the other room. And then they hear from the other room, <laughs> It's the battle. You see it happening, but folks, uh, that's what goes on inside of me every single day. Seriously. I have a two-year-old that wakes up demanding to be pleased. I want to do what I want, when I want it. I want to eat now. I want to eat what I want now. I want to do what I want. What do you mean I have to do this? What? I can't do what I want to do. And I stop my feet and I make a protest. And the Spirit of God is going, but this is what I need you to do. And this is what I want you to do. And the Word of God is being brought to my mind. And you got this conflict. Now watch. The battle within, whoever wins within, it's revealed in our relationship. Understand what I'm saying? Whoever wins inside, you know by what happens on the outside, on the external relationship. When I yield to the Spirit, relational peace is possible. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit's peace. And when I yield to the flesh, relational peace is impossible. See what I mean? You all know the battle. You, you have it just like I do every single day if you're born again. The spirit in you versus the flesh in you. And how you respond to the internal battle depends whether you have relational peace in your marriage, whether we have relational peace here at church, whether you have relational peace with siblings, parents. You don't. It all, it's all an overflow of a, an internal battle of the Spirit and the flesh. So, if you're like me and you want peace, you might go, so how do I, how do I walk in the Spirit if indeed 
peace, relational peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of saying yes to the Spirit and no to the two-year-old in me. How do I do that? Well, go from Galatians 5 to Romans 6. And you'll find in Romans 6 a fundamental truth that would change our thinking and then a practical application of that fundamental truth. It starts, Romans 6 starts like this. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin, continue in relational turmoil so that grace may increase? God will just forgive us. May it never be, he says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, something has changed about you that ought to change how you relate to one another. From quarrels and fighting to hating to love and joy and peace. And that something is that that which used to rule in you, your flesh, you've died to. Not that it doesn't have a voice, not that it won't demand its way, but you don't have to be a slave to it any longer. If you drop down he, to verse 11, he gives an accounting statement. He says, even so, consider yourself, see, that's an accounting term. When, he, when you check your, uh, your bank account to check the balance, he's saying, when you look at yourself, if you've been born again, when you look at yourself, what you ought to see is that you are dead to sin. In other words, you're not a slave to sin any longer, but you're alive to God. Now, if you would, could I ask you to look up here for a moment? Before a person is born again, what the Bible calls a Christian, here's, here's what's true about us. We're alive to sin. In other words, we're a slave to our desires and we're dead to God. We're spiritually dead. But when we hear by God's grace, the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the, the punishment we deserve. And then he was buried. And then he was raised from the dead. If we would believe in him, we would go from dead to God to alive to God. And we would go from alive to sin to dead to sin. We would be completely changed in our standing before God and who we are internally. Internally, we would go from a person who is just the two-year-old to now a two-year-old that remains, but I'm not a slave to it. Now I have the Holy Spirit, a parent, if you will, in me. And that parent is attempting to train the two-year-old. You follow? When you go to a restaurant and you see a two-year-old just destroying the place and completely out of control, I doubt you go, what's wrong with that two-year-old? Because that's what two-year-olds do. Instead, you think what? Where's mom? Where's dad? Right? 
because they have the responsibility to train the two-year-old. When we are born again, we're to go from a life where, man, the family's broken, the marriage is broken, there's always quarreling, there's always fighting, to a new life of learning to live in peace. These are our six words. Live in peace with one another. And the hope is because now we're alive to God, the Spirit of God is in me, so that now I have the ability to say no to that two-year-old, the flesh. I don't have to pitch a, a fit. I don't have to be one who submits to the demands. But how do I do that? Next verse. Don't let sin reign. That's like be king in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust because you've been freed from that. You're alive to God. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Okay, here's what has helped me so dramatically to recognize this. My desires require a body to express themselves. And if I don't give my desires, what's it say here? Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments. If I don't give my desires a body, then the deeds of the flesh, what Galatians 5 talked about, fighting and quarreling and envy and murder and drunkenness, they won't characterize my life anymore because my desires require a body. They require a brain. They require my hands. They require my eyes. They require my mouth. They require my feet. They require my hands. They require my body. And if I deny my desires of body, then the deeds of the flesh can no longer be accomplished. You following me? So what do I do with my body? But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, which is who you are if you're a believer. And your members, mind, brain, eyes, hands, feet, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So just take our two-year-old. It's the role of the parent to say, instead of, Joseph, you using those hands to steal from your cousin, use those hands to help. That's what every parent's trying to do with their two-year-old, right? Instead of taking, use those hands for helping. Instead of using those vocal cords for pitching a fit, and going berserko, use those vocal cords as an instrument of God to speak truth and kindness and help and hope. It's an instrument. And every single day, you and I either give the members of our body to the two-year-old demanding to be pleased in us or to the Spirit of God so that through us, love would happen 
Joy would be present. Peace would be present. You see it? It's who you give your body to. The thing is, we have two-year-olds in us, the flesh, who have spent 20 years getting pleased. Or for some of you, 30 years. Man, that is hard to break, right? It's hard to break a two-year-old, let alone a 30-year-old who's been acting like a two-year-old for 30 years. And that's what our flesh is. And then you get married (laughs) to somebody else who spent their entire life largely presenting their bodies to their flesh, to their desires. And this thing called marriage that's supposed to be love, joy, and peace looks more like fighting war and hell. Now, do you think, really? Uh Uh-huh. Now, I know what you look like at church, but I know what you look like at midnight. I remember. I'm married. We celebrated 33 years. Yeah. And and it's it's been so easy (laughs) to do what I want and to make a wreck of things. It's hard. It's hard. Why? What's hard about it? Because the only way ultimately peace happens in relationships is this. Peaceful relationships are only a a death to fleshly desire away. See what I'm saying? For me to give my body to the spirit, I have to say no to my flesh. And that's, in some sense, dying in that moment. There are thousands of deaths we have to die to our flesh. And brokenness is simply because nobody wants to die. Oh, they want somebody else to die. See, we, we are far more committed to General George Patton than we are to the Bible. You know, remember Patton? The church version was this. Gentlemen, it is not your goal to die for your country. It's your goal to make the other guy die for his country. That's the cleaned up church version. That's, it took some words out. But you understand, at war, the goal is not to die, it's to make the other guy die. If you want peace, you have to be willing to to die. And when we don't have peace in our marriage, and when we don't have peace in our church, and when we don't have peace in our families, it's simply because I don't want to die. And I understand, two-year-olds don't want to die. They want to be pleased. So, that probably brings clarity to why there isn't peace in a particular relationship. I don't want to die. But peace is, all, is often, I'll explain why I say often in a moment. 
just a death to fleshly desire way. Show it to you how it happens in the church first. Church in Corinth, actually, Paul, when he writes them a letter, 1 Corinthians, he confronts them that, that people in the church are suing one another. They're taking one another to court. And he's going, that just looks ugly. That doesn't reflect peace. The fruit of the Spirit, and you all to be believers, is to be peace. Live in peace with one another. You're not living in peace. You're taking one another to court. And here's what he says. It's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? In other words, why not rather die to your case? Why not just be willing to to take a loss? I don't want to. I want them to take the loss. And he doesn't actually side with either one. See, because it's not a matter always of, well, they're right and I'm... I'm right and they're wrong. That's not always the matter. What's the issue? Am I willing to yield my rights? For the sake of peace. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be fraud? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong into fraud. You do this even to your brethren. He's gone to the church in Corinth. Instead of doing that, I mean, you just withdraw it and go I'll take the loss for the sake of my brother another thing at the church in Corinth uh, it had been a pagan city before the gospel came so it was filled with idol worship and part of the idol worship was food being sacrificed to idols then the gospel came and people believed in Jesus and they learned the scripture says, you're not to have any idols. So they were faced with, oh man, we used to worship idols and eat food that was sacrificed to idols, but now we're not supposed to worship idols, so I'm not gonna eat food sacrificed to idols. That'd be wrong. Other believers said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We actually have come to know the one true God, so these idols that we used to worship, they're just like pieces of stone or wood. They have no power. So the food sacrificed to idols, if there isn't really such thing as an idol, then it's just food. Nothing's changed. Let's eat. It's cheaper. Seriously, that's what was going on. Let's eat. We're fine. And so some were eating because their conscience was clear, and other people were going, That's terrible. That's what idol worshipers do. We shouldn't do that. So there's division, fighting in the church about whether you should eat it or not. Paul writes them and he says, if food causes my brother to stumble, in other words, if I have genuine knowledge that it's just food, But if my eating it causes this person to think, oh man, that's wrong, they're doing wrong and I would be doing wrong. If it would cause them to sin, I just won't eat meat. I'll do what? I'll I'll die. I'm willing to die to that because the person, my brother in Christ, is more important to me than my porterhouse. No, we don't really have that 
in our day. But sometimes, and I realize this may be a can of worms, but some people have freedom when it comes to alcohol and other people don't. And some of you just need to go, you know, my brother in Christ is more important to me than the corona. Just is. I can give that up. That's a small death for the sake of peace. You see? Usually peace is only just one death to fleshly desire away. true in the church it's true in the family as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be their own husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so how's marriage work two people willing to to die to self husband Dying like Christ died. Wife, submitting. Dying to my way. See, it's a healthy marriage. If you're not experiencing peace in your marriage, it's because you don't want to die. And I get that. Man, Jackie and I's first three years of our 33, the first three, uh, I would never want to go back. Because there was just so hard. Nobody had told me, like, marriage required dying. And you think, wow, what a low view on marriage. Uh, no. You know what's ugly? A marriage where nobody will die. That's ugly. What's beautiful? So when a husband says, I'll die like Christ died for me. And a wife says, I'll die like the church submits to Christ. And now you have life because as as we'll see in a moment, life always comes from dying. But it's hard. There's a battle. I I remember very specifically, late at night, me in one room, Jackie in another room, and me thinking, it's her turn. It's her turn to die. I've died like four times straight. It's her turn. <laughs> and I'm sure she saw it differently. She was in the other room thinking, I, I've been dying like mad. That guy, it's, it's his turn. And so we're in separate rooms. No peace because each of us are going, make the other guy die. I'll wait. And then there'd be the parent, the Holy Spirit in me going, really, Doug? You're going to sit out here and wait? You're not going to take the initiative? God demonstrates, God went first and you're Christ. And ah, no. Okay. It's the way it works. It's real life, right? And it's the secret to live in peace with one another. It's always, it's always, almost always just one death away. It's just nobody wants to die. Now, I've said this multiple times. It's often only a, a death to fleshly desire away, often only because there is this reality that I can only do what I can do for peaceful relationships. You understand what I mean? I can only do what I can do. Sometimes one person cannot do everything needed for two people to get along. 
right? You can only do what you can do. This is why Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus did all he could, but there were people that he was not at peace with. Because one person cannot always do what's needed for two people to get along. Uh, I can't make someone else die to self. I can. I can die to self. That's my responsibility. But I can't make someone else. And I just recognize, when you do and they don't, that makes it hard for you to keep doing, right? Because <laughs> we all have a ledger that doesn't help us. We all like to keep scorn. It doesn't help us. That's why... The, the scripture says love keeps no record of wrong. And second, I cannot abandon truth for peace. The, I, can, I can give up a liberty for the sake of peace. But I can't take, and this is increasingly hard in our culture, I can't take that which the Bible says is wrong and make it right for the sake of peace. You'll be pressured that way. But you can't take what is wrong and make it right for the sake of peace. So as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Live in peace. Die to self wherever you need to die to self. It should not surprise us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. But don't miss this. How do we have peace with God through Jesus? By his, we are enemies, we are reconciled through the death. You get my point? Jesus demonstrated peace is a death away. It was only by his death that you and I were able to be at peace with God. And the scripture says then, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Meaning, you don't just up and die. Sometimes there's some things we have to, to be willing to embrace in order to die. And here's the example, here's the attitude of Jesus. I, I want you to reflect on, as I read this, is this your attitude? Because ultimately, I have to have this attitude to get to the point of being willing to die. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is where he ends up willing to die, but look where it starts. He was willing to take something that you and I would want to hold on to and release it. There may be lacking peace in a relationship because you are holding on to something and you won't let go. Jesus took what was, and I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. 
saying he took something that was right, his equality with God, and he said, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to die. So there may be something that you've got to be willing to let go of. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. See, we want peace, but we don't want to be bond servants. We don't, we don't want to be that person that has to go first to do the hard to serve. And he humbled himself. You know, when I don't want to die, it's because of my pride. I don't want to humble myself. I want you to die. I want Jackie to die. I want her to be humble. Have this attitude in you. Release it. Don't hold on. Embrace being a servant. Be humble. And you know what you'll get? Peace. When you lose the battle in here, when you lose it, in other words, you surrender, then you win relationally. And when you win here, you get what you want in here, and you lose relationally. What happens inside makes all the difference what's going to happen on the outside. So let me invite you to simply bow with me. However the Lord has spoken to you this morning, maybe in a way that that you recognize you've not been doing what you need to do for peace. You haven't been willing to humble yourself, to be willing to, to empty yourself, to take on the servant role, to die. I want to just encourage you to, to embrace that this morning, knowing the incredible fruit of peace is the outcome. Lord, thank you that, that you've told us we'll lose our lives and we'll find it. And I pray that that would be true in this church, that we would humble ourselves and genuinely die to ourselves for the sake of the good and the peace of others. That'd be true in our marriages, in our homes, in our families at work. It'd be a reflection that we are doing what you have done for us, dying for the sake of peace. Would that be a new path? That would reap great fruit. Thank you for your word. We declared before we said it, that, uh, read it, that we would incline our heart to it. Thank you for speaking in Christ's name. Amen. Would you uh, stand with me, please? In a moment, I'm going to invite you to declare this to one another, because this is a great promise. But I want to first declare verse 23 to you. Now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you declare this? He will. That is his faithful promise to you. God bless. Thanks for being here.